This is the Chapel of DBTS. Be sure to subscribe and listen to the Chapel messages weekly. And for more info, please go to dbts.edu. And now today's message. Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians, if you would. We're going to be looking in Ephesians. Uh, The text we'll be looking at is Ephesians chapter 2. But what I'd like to do is read Ephesians chapter 1, because I'm convinced Ephesians 1 and 2 go together quite nicely. Uh, They were designed that way. And as uh, Paul is developing his points in Ephesians chapter 1 about the magnitude of God's work within this created universe, he then draws us into that. And so I think as we read chapter 1, that will prepare us for understanding why he talks the way he talks about in chapter 2. So Father, follow with me, if you would, as we look in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and they're faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with his promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand 
in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity you've given to us this morning to consider this text, even as we read Ephesians 1, this powerful testimony of the Apostle Paul as he thinks of your cosmic purposes for your creation and for us involved in it and your blessings to us in light of it, the resurrection of Jesus and the authority he now has in light of that. Our hearts resonate. And yet, uh, Father, this morning we want to consider chapter 2 and the great truths that you've provided there. And so we pray that you would prepare our hearts to consider who we have been and especially who we are today because of your great grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I am of that variety of people who really enjoy infomercials. Anybody else? Infomercials? I mean, if I'm not sleeping well at night, turn on the infomercial and I could just watch and watch. Now, I'm not of the individual uh, or, or of the type of people who actually ever buy anything. I mean, I, I never get duped. I can be thankful for that. Don't think I've ever bought anything in an infomercial. But but I'm addicted to kind of this whole process they have. I mean, and they've got it down to, to a science almost. To the degree that I bet if we began walking through it, you'd be able to tell me the next thing that's coming in line. And you get to the very end and it's like, but wait, <laughs> I knew somebody would know it. It's but wait, there's more, right? Well, <clears throat> to have a successful uh, infomercial, what you really need is you need a prop problem that's huge, massive, worldwide, like everybody has this problem. And then you need this, this wonderful fix for that. You need a product, and then you need a product guarantee. Now, lest I be viewing this text, and the analogy I'm presenting is, though it's blasphemy, what I'm suggesting here is not that this is some sort of infomercial. But I would, what I would say is, that what the Apostle Paul presents here is an issue that is worldwide in scope. He presents the <coughs> ugly before. So think with me if it's an infomercial on acne medication. They show you this picture. And this person's face is just like, how could they even live like this? And little benotes to us, they probably pinched their face all over the place right before the picture. But, but they, they're in an ugly before. And then what do they want to show you? The beautiful after, right? And they said, this is what you could look like. And then the potent product and the product guarantee. Here, as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, what Paul presents to us is an issue that is much more serious than acne. It's much more serious than any other thing. It's the most serious thing that mankind has fallen into. It's worldwide in scope. 
And Paul is going to present to us the ugly before, the beautiful after, the potent product, and then what I'll call the product guarantee. So let's get into the ugly before. Here's what Paul says concerning mankind in general. We'll talk about why I say in general, but he says here, and you, talking to the Ephesian believers, and including all of them in this, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, you can't have a worse condition than death. I mean, this is the worst condition one can imagine. And I'm convinced that Paul is using this analogy on purpose. He's not saying you and you were in a deep, deep coma from which you could somehow wake up. You could hear a little bit. No, he's saying you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is the ugly before. Why were we dead in our trespasses and sins? And what does that mean? Well, he describes this in three ways. <clears throat> he describes what this, uh, why, it wa- why it is that we were dead, <clears throat> and for min- ma- many in the world, they remain dead. So he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So we're dead because of trespasses and sins. <clears throat> and I think it's important to recognize that, um, <clears throat> that we're not dead because we've trespassed and sinned. We sin because um, we are dead. That is, that we are born into this state. And I think that's what Paul is communicating to us. We'll see that as we walk along. He says, in which you once walked, and he aligns three areas of life for us that help us to see what it means to be dead in our trespasses and sins. In which you once walked, following first, the course of this world. We'll, we'll come back to that one in just a moment. I want to jump to the second one that will help us to understand following the course of this world. <clears throat> so we follow the course of this world. Second, that we in the past and many in the present follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul here in the book of Ephesians is talking about the cosmic purposes of God. But he's also talking about the spiritual powers that are at work in our world today. Here he's referencing Satan, the chief enemy. He's saying that there is a great enemy out there. Now, of course, he's going to continue with this concept all the way to chapter 6 and say that the real battle we have is a spiritual battle. Here he says that those who are dead in their trespasses and sins follow the prince of the power of the air, the one who is now, where uh, Scripture says elsewhere, the God of this world. <clears throat> Notice how this spirit, the prince of the power of the air, is described. He is the spirit that is now, even presently, at work in the sons of disobedience. The word that Paul uses for the spirit at power is one that he's already addressed a little bit earlier and that he'll address again. <clears throat> Notice back with me in chapter 1, verse 11. He says, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That is that God is in the midst of, in the world right now, working, aligning, using his power to direct things towards the direction that he desires. And what chapter 2 is then saying is that there is another spirit at work. This one, the the God of this world, who's working 
uh, seeming to try and go against God's purposes. One of the most beautiful things about, uh, about this whole thing is that Satan can't ever finally um, go against God's purposes, and yet, yet he's seeking to do so. He, he is the God of this world. He is controlling these people, and he is the spirit who is now working in them, leading them. In fact, a little bit later, look in chapter 3, verse 20. <clears throat> he says concerning uh, believers, not a him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. And so again, Paul's referencing this power that is at work within us. So he's indicating here that there is one who has power within this world who's at work, and he calls these individuals the sons of disobedience. These are individuals who are uh, described as sons uh, in I, I think here in reference to Satan, I think elsewhere Jesus uh, talks about um, uh, some of the religious leaders who are against him, that they're sons of the devil, not, not sons of his. And here these are sons of disobedience. They're, they're following their father who is the devil. They are sons described as disobedient. This is who they are. They follow Satan. And in fact, <coughs> this is why it is that the course of this world is the way the course of the world is. So you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and why is it that the world walks the direction they walk? It's because there's a spirit at work in this world. And that spirit at work in this world points to the broad way and says this is the way. Do you ever feel like in your Christian life, that you're the guy <coughs> who the plane just exited or um, people are just getting out of um, maybe some big event. Uh, you've gone to a, a basketball game or something. Uh, let's, let's say you went to the, uh, the football game, U of M, and, and you forgot something inside, so you're trying to go back in and everyone's coming out. Well, that in many ways is the course of this world. They're all heading in one direction. It's a broad way. This is the direction in which is against what God has commanded. It is the direction in which Satan is leading mankind. This is the way in which it was natural for men to walk. Following the course of this world, following Satan. Notice he goes on in verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's already said we walk according to the course of this world. He says we walk according to the prince of the power of the air. And now he says we walk according to the passions of the flesh and of the mind. Now immediately we tend to think of sexual things. That, that tends to be the first thing. You, you're following the passions of the flesh, and of course this is one of the most public ways in which this is expressed within our world today, sexual immorality. And yet, <clears throat> notice what Paul says in Galatians 5 concerning the works of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They are these, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Okay, we understood those. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, 
jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And he goes on to say, and things like these. These are the works of the flesh, of which Paul goes on to say, I warn you, and I warned you before that those who do such things will be condemned. They will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the same point Paul is making here. Those who are dead in their trespasses and sins follow the course of this world. They follow the prince of the power of the air, and they follow their own fleshly indulgence, which includes not only the sins of sexuality, but the sins of, of the heart and of the mind. It's going after things that cause division. And this is the, nat the natural form of man. Why do I say that? Well, because Paul does. Notice, he says, we all live this way. It's not like, <clears throat> it was like, yeah, I mean, I know Bill over there. He, he really, I mean, he was dead in trespasses and sins, but, but I was okay. No, we all live this way. He goes on to say, we all lived in the passions of our flesh and were by nature the children of wrath. Well, what does it mean that we were by nature the children of wrath? In Galatians 2.15, Paul says this using the same word, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. And what he means by that is by birth. We were sinners because of birth. This was just the natural thing, that when I was born to this family, it was by nature that I was a Jew. And here's what Paul's saying about humanity. When you are born a human, you are by nature evil. You're by nature a sinner. You're by nature one who follows after the things that God has said do not go after. You not only follow the course of this world, but you do so willingly. You want to. You not only follow the prince of the power of the air, but you do so because you enjoy it. And so... Someone may say, well, I'm dead in my trespasses and sins, but that's not really my fault. I mean, like, you know, it's the world. I mean, that's the course of the world. I mean, how, how can you go the opposite way? I mean, that's, that's Satan. He's, he's powerful at work. I mean, I, you know, <clears throat> but Paul wants to say here, yes, those things are true. You do follow the course of this world. You are <clears throat> led by Satan. But this is by nature, you are one who carries out the desires of the body and the mind and, in fact, are by nature children of wrath. This, my friends, is the thing our culture does not want to hear. We hear a lot today about, well, they were born that way. And so that must mean they're okay. But here's fundamental proof that just because you're born some way doesn't mean it's okay. Because all of us were born as sinners, and that doesn't make it okay. And so, Paul presents to us the ugly, ugly before. And this, is a, this is a situation in which every man finds himself, like the rest of mankind, Paul says. Verse number four then begins what I'm going to describe as the beautiful after. And just, just consider the words. Just consider these first two words as the English translates them. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were following the course of this world. You were led by the Spirit. You were sons of the Spirit of this world. You were sons of disobedience. You were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. 
but then you, is that what Paul says? But then you got up. You said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise to life. That's not what Paul says. Because guess what? You couldn't do it. He says, but God, but God, it is in the midst of the worst situation that God steps in, but God, now jump ahead, but God made us alive together with Christ. But before he gets to exactly what God does, Paul inserts between uh, the verb in, in terms of what God has done, all of these descriptions of who God is, because this is describing to us why God is doing this. So God makes us alive, but it's because of who he is. Notice, but God, who is rich in mercy. He has an abundance of mercy. This is who he is. He is abundant in mercy. He has an overflow of mercy, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. He is one who's rich in mercy of great love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, and this in Paul's mind magnifies the type of love. It's the same argument he makes in the book of Romans that there might be some who might die for a good person, maybe. But, but Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That's the type of love that he has. And here Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy, you were with he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. This is what he did. He made us alive together with Christ. We'll discuss why he, he mentions that together with Christ here in just a moment. But then Paul puts in how the ESV has it here. It's, it's, uh, you've got some dashes to represent the fact that, that this statement somewhat interrupts his train of thought. It's, it's like Paul wants to get to the grace, which he's going to in a little bit, but he can't help but, but state it here. So he says, by grace you've been saved. He raised you up. By grace he did this. And then he says, so um, he made us alive together with Christ. In verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him. Don't miss the with hymns in the heavenly places in Christ. Well, what does this mean? The reason I read chapter 1 is because I think, I'm convinced, that chapter 2 follows chapter 1 because Paul is trying to point out to us that what God did for Christ, he's doing for us. Notice back in chapter 1, verse 21. Uh, in fact, let's read verse 19 again. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So what does the father do for the son? He raises him from the dead. He gives him life, raises him 
and seats him at his right hand. Now you'll notice there is something that Paul does not mimic for us. We don't sit at the right hand. That's not our place. But we can sit with Christ. Well, why does Paul present it this way? Well, I'm convinced that what Paul is trying to get at here is he's saying that we have been brought to new life. This is connecting back to chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead, but now you've been given life. But then the raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places, I think, represents our union with Christ. This helps us to get a sense of what Paul says elsewhere when he says that our life is hidden with Christ in God. That there is a sense in which we are presently seated with Christ, even as he lives through us, we are seated with him. Well, what does that mean? And it obviously doesn't mean that I'm literally sitting there at this present moment because I think I might be aware of that. When we look at chapter 1 and we develop what Paul is trying to get at in chapter 1, he's talking about God's cosmic purposes, God's power over, over all of creation. And he says that when he raised Christ from the dead, he set him at his right hand with all things subject to him. There's no power that... Christ is subject to. He has the power over those things. When we are seated with Christ, I think what Paul is getting at here is that we likewise share in, not because of us, but because of him, that power and authority. We no longer have to be subject to the prince of the power of this age. We can don the spiritual armor and stand against him because there's an authority that's not ours, but that's been given to us in Christ to do so. Now, Paul's going to develop this in the book of Colossians. If you've been raised with Christ, then seek those things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of the Father. And in similar ways, I think it's likely that we should draw even here this idea that that. This newness of life causes a a newness of purpose, which Paul is going to get to here in just a moment. So what has God done? The, The ugly before, we saw how ugly it was. The beautiful after God God gave us life. He raised us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Why did he do this? Verse 7. So that, here's the purpose. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Do you you see what Paul's saying there? So that in the coming ages, like we tend to think so that right now we would praise him for what he's done for us. And that is true. But what Paul's saying is that so that in the coming ages, in the millennium to come, and in the eternal state, and... For all of eternity to come in the ages to come, he might continue to lavish upon us his grace. There won't come a period in eternity in which we will not look around (laughs) and see what God's given to us and not say, you are to be praised. You see, this is eternal. And, And the language is 
this immeasurable riches. God is rich in mercy. His immeasurable riches are continually poured upon us. The fact that we are there in the first place, but the fact that we continue there. And then he gives us more and more. This is grace. <clears throat> Which leads us then to the potent product. We've seen the ugly before. This was ugly. We see the incredibly beautiful after. <laughs> this is beautiful. What is it that takes us from the one to the other? Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. <laughs> this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Friends, by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace, God's kindness to us undeserved when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He did something. Grace, through faith, through a recognition of what he's done, a simple, simple affirmation, recognition, spirit-guided, to say that, yes, Jesus has done this. And it's not our doing. It's the gift of God. It is something that God grants to us so that in eternity, none of us will say, hey, I made it. I did it. God, you know, I almost didn't go to church that one day, but I did. And so here I am. I, I you know, hey, good to see you. What do you think you did to get here? Well, I did this, that, and that. You know, nobody's going to be like that. Hey, what would you do to get here? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I mean, I, I trusted in Christ and, and, and Jesus. He did it all. He did it all. I trusted in him and he changed me. He made me a new person and, and I lived faithfully for him, yes. That's because of what he did. And he's to be praised. This is not your own doing. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is better than any infomercial I've ever seen. The product is free? <laughs> yes, the product is free. You just must receive. You must trust. You must believe. You must recognize, and this is the hardest part of it, that if you're here today and you don't know Christ, and I trust that's not the case for any of you, but, but if you don't, then you need to recognize that the ugly before is what you are like. That's you. When we read those first three verses, Paul was describing you. That's where the hard thing comes. We don't, we're by nature, children of wrath. I mean, I did this, that, and the other, but, but by wrath, son of disobedience, led by Satan, I don't know about, but... That's what the word says. And in order to understand the riches of God's mercy, you must first understand the ugliness of the before. So the ugly before, the beautiful after, the potent product. But I want you to notice something that I think is often missed in this passage. And that is what I'm going to call the product guarantee. And then I'll try and explain what I mean by that. You know, in these infomercials, they always, they always produce some, some guarantee. If you don't like the product, 
send it back. Of course, you're going to pay to send it back, and you don't get your shipping and handling back, but they don't ever say that. Um, th there's always some sort of guarantee, and here, as we look in verse 10, and notice what it speaks of this, this gift of God's grace, for we are his workmanship. And different translations are going to take that word in different ways, but it really is something along the lines of we are an artistic creation of God. We are God's artistic creation. Sometimes it's used of poetry, sometimes it's used of a potter's vessel that he's making. It is something a craftsman makes. And here the scripture is saying that if this is true of you, if you have accepted his grace, then you are God's unique uh, creation created in Christ Jesus, in Christ, and don't, don't miss these next two words, for good works. Why did God save you? And there are numerous good answers to that question. But one of the answers has to be for good works. That you would live with a faithful lifestyle. That you would be transformed. In fact, this is what um, he says in chapter 1, verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That, here's the purpose, that we should be holy and blameless before him. If you truly accepted God's grace, then God is making you new. You're a different person. You're a vessel that he's shaping. You're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He goes on to say, which God prepared beforehand. That is, that in God's elective purposes, he chose you so that you would do specific good works. And that we should walk in them. God, if he has done this grace work of grace in your life, then he's made you a new creature. You have new life. You're no longer dead in trespasses and sins, but you're alive in righteousness. You once had no hope in this world, but now you have hope. And this hope brings within us a desire to live according to the purposes for which God has. In fact, think about it this way. Paul has been presenting this contrast. This is what you once were, and now here's what you are. You once were subject to a spirit, and you were a son of disobedience. Now you are subject to a different spirit. This is what he said at the end of chapter 1, that we've been given this down payment, this Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, you are now led by a different spirit. You are now a son of obedience. And the question for us then is this. Are you obedient? Because the honest truth is that this is a product that doesn't fail. This product doesn't fail. If God creates someone new, he is at work in them with his spirit to transform and change them. And if that is not true of you, if you do not see yourself going on to maturity and moving ahead, then you ought to be concerned, just like the book of Hebrews and many other passages warn, that if you're not continue on, continuing on to maturity, growing, 
then you ought to ask, as Paul says to the Corinthian church, test yourselves. See whether you're in the faith. Because those to whom God imparts his majestic, wonderful grace, it is a transformative grace. And it is a spirit who's at work in the sons of obedience. And if that's not true of us, then we ought to be highly concerned. So what do we do with this? Well, first, we recognize that in the book of Ephesians, Paul is laying out God's eternal purposes for his creation. And you, if you're a believer, are a part of that purpose. In eternity, God elected you in Christ so that you would be a vessel of honor for him, that you would show forth his good works in this creation. You're a part of God's eternal eternal purposes. And, in fact, that it doesn't end here. So that in the ages to come, he might show us the fullness of his grace. So today, you are a part of God's eternal purposes. And we ought to thank him for that. We ought to thank him every time we read the but God and say, yes, God, that was me. And thank you that this is now What got me there to here was a raising to life. Something I couldn't do for myself, but something that you gave to me. And I thank you for that. Again, if on the other hand we say, my life actually does look more like the ugly before. As you describe the ugly before and the beautiful after, I see in my own heart a, a longing after the path of this world. Uh, I see myself walking according to the course of this world, according to even the dictates of Satan. I see a giving in to the passions of the flesh. And I very much do not see the opposite side. Then I would say this. Come to the Lord. (laughs) He says, my grace is free. Come to me and, and recognize who you are that I might give to you a grace that I will share in Christ's exaltation, in, in Christ's raising from the dead, I'll give you new life so that you might also, as the book says, be different than this world. Have, as chapter 6 will indicate, uh, as Jesus has all authority and power, even over the spiritual realm, we likewise, in Christ, may have that. Do you praise the Lord for your salvation? That's the reason he saved you. And we'll be doing it in eternity. Let's make sure that today we do it as well. Father, thank you for the time you've given to us to consider this passage. Thank you that though we all once were the ugly before, that through the grace of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and the abundance of your own mercy and kindness towards us, we now can be the beautiful after. We thank you that it is by grace we're saved. We count none of it as our own. Though we anticipate greatly the day in which we will continually, throughout all the ages to come, praise you for your kindness towards us in Christ. I ask for these men. Father, we have have seen individuals graduate from this place and go on to um, deny your name. 
And I pray today that any who are here and, and are being convicted by your spirit would seek after you. And that, Father, each of us would be faithful to the calling you've given. That, in fact, we would all show ourselves to be among those whom in your grace and kindness you have called eternally to be your vessels of honor, giving praise to you. Thank you for listening to the DBTS Chapel Hour. DBTS is a ministry of Intercity Baptist Church. To find out more about Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, please go to dbts.edu.